Good morning. I'm glad to see you here this morning. We have visitors here. We want you to know you're especially welcomed here. Uh, if there's anything that we can do for you while you're here with us, we want to know that. Uh, please fill out a visitor's card and let us know. Uh, we're going to be studying in the book of 2 Corinthians this morning. If you want to get out your Bibles and turn there, uh, that's where the lesson will primarily be coming from. Um, I'm excited about the meeting next week. I've always enjoyed listening to Bill Hall. Uh, he has uh, helped me in, on some occasions as I've lived pretty much right next to him in Hartsville, Alabama for a few years. Uh, and I was able to go over to where he's at right now in Westview and, and talk to him a little bit. Uh, so I, I hope that you can somehow make out time in your schedules for uh, each Wednesday night or each night uh, next week as we get together and we study a portion of his word, God's word with Bill teaching us. I think, I think you'll uh, find tremendous value in coming together uh, and encouraging one another and, and being encouraged. One of the things that I did last week is start to talk about evangelism a little bit, and we're going we're gonna to talk about it a little bit more uh, this morning before we begin looking at Matthew. I'm going to transition into Matthew in the month of October, but I wanted to get some foundational uh, concepts in your minds uh, as we study together. Uh, and so, to begin with, though, I want us to start by reading uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18, and then we'll, we'll go on from there. It says... And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. One of the things we're going to see as we look at this text in 2 Corinthians is the response to this fact, what we see here in 2 Corinthians 3.18. Each and every one of us who have studied the Bible, who have come to see who God is and who Jesus is, uh, we have beheld the glory of the Lord in the face of Jesus Christ. As we study the Scriptures, as we open it up and we, we learn about Jesus walking on the earth, what we find is He is the exact imprint of the glory of God. He is the image of God walking on earth for all of us to see. And they, they, were, they were writing about it, and we get to read about it, and we get the picture of who Jesus is. And that reveals to us the glory of God. That's what we get to see. Uh, in the Old Testament, they were, they were wishing they could see that. Uh, it, you see Moses asking God, show me your glory. And then he talks about that in chapter 3. And God shows him his glory. He, he reveals to him his nature, his character. That he is a God who is uh, merciful and compassionate, abounding in love and steadfast love for thousands. But not uh, by no means allowing those who are wicked to, to go on unpunished. So he, he reveals himself to some extent in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, we see his glory more fully as we look on the face of Jesus Christ. Well, what is that knowledge, that understanding supposed to do in us? How is it supposed to provoke our hearts uh, if you've been a Christian for very long, I want you to think back to when you first became a Christian, or if you're just now a Christian, you're feeling this. You've beheld the glory of the Lord. You have felt and experienced the love of God in your life. You have been guilty of all these sins, and you've realized it, and you want God to wash those things away, and you know He is merciful and compassionate, abounding in steadfast love towards you, and He's willing to wipe all those things away. How did that make us feel? 
Like, we're ready to go out and, and fight a battle against 10,000, right? We're ready to go out. We're ready to evangelize. We're ready to talk to other people about the Lord. But then what happens? Well, it doesn't go as we plan. <laughs> How many of us have been discouraged while evangelizing? If I, had everybody, if I had people raise their hands, surely everybody would raise your hand. If you tried to evangelize, we have suffered great discouragement in our efforts to reach out to those who are lost and bring them into the fold. And, and we're just trying to help them see the glory that we see. It's beautiful that we understand that this is a God who is greater than anything anybody's ever experienced on earth. And we just want them to see it for themselves. We want them to experience it for themselves. And, and they don't want to experience it. Uh, and it breaks our hearts, doesn't it? How many of us have friends and family who just won't listen, won't open their eyes to see the glory of the Lord? And it hurts us badly. Uh, and I think we, we do a great injustice by coming together and just saying, be more evangelistic, be more evangelistic, be more evangelistic, without recognizing, man, this is hard. This is discouraging. This is, this is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> and I, I want you to notice that in 2 Corinthians 4 and 5, what we're going to be studying this morning, Paul gives us great encouragement. He encourages the Corinthians in what he says in this text. And I'm excited to study this with you. I didn't understand 2 Corinthians the first time that I ever tried to teach it. I was just like, I got lost because this whole understanding of he's defending his apostleship, you know, doesn't, doesn't work. It doesn't fit in some areas. But what we see Paul doing throughout this letter really is strengthening the weak and trying to build them up and say that God has revealed to me, Paul is saying, my power is made perfect in weakness. That's what God is telling Paul. You're weak. You're suffering. Things are going badly. You've prayed for this thorn to be removed three times, and it's not. But my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul says in chapter 12, verse 9, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. We've been made weak so that we can show the glory of God to other people because God works through our weaknesses. <laughs> so if you feel discouraged, if you feel weak, let's study this together and see how God is going to use that to bring about His glory, to change the hearts of other people. That's what God wants to do. Let's start out reading chapter 4 verses 1 and 2. And we're going to notice a phrase in here that we're going to see uh, twice. It, if, if you were to just look at this from a big picture, the lesson is essentially two ways in which we're, we're commonly going to lose heart. And Paul's saying we do not lose heart uh, in these ways, even though it's common for people to lose heart uh, when these things happen to us. And then we're going to look at two ways that renew us and encourage us. And then we're going to talk about how we can feel encouraged and renewed uh, as we walk as Christians. So let's start reading verse 1. It says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience 
in the sight of God. One thing that you see here, starting out, he says, I have this ministry, the ministry that he has to spread the gospel throughout the world, the ministry to, to allow everyone else to behold the, the glory of God in the face of Jesus. He says, we have this ministry by the mercy of God. He doesn't look at his service of spreading the gospel begrudgingly. He doesn't think, oh great, I've got to go and preach to these people now. But he looks at it as though this is by the mercy of God. This is a gift of God that he has given me. That I get to share with others the glory that I have seen, that I have, I have experienced myself. And he says, we do not lose heart. What does that mean? To lose heart. To be discouraged. To give up. He's saying we don't give up. We see our ministry as a gift from God, and we don't give up. And he says, we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways, and we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. Uh, we're not trying to, to fit our message to, to those around us. He's basically saying, we're not going to give up because we're rejected. We're not going to give up on the truth because nobody likes the truth. And, and we're, we're not going to just uh, go into different methods to try to bait and switch people. I mean, can you imagine Paul having a hot dog eating contest outside to bring in as many people as he can? And then, oh, and here, here's the gospel. That's not what he's going to do. No. Instead, he says, but by open statement of the truth. He's also not going to get people to come in and then tell them, well, you don't really have to repent of this sin, this sin, and this sin. <laughs> no, he's going to be honest and open with them, even though they may reject it. He's not going to stop speaking the truth openly because he views his ministry as a gift from God that cannot, he can't tamper with. He can't change it to make it what he wants it to be. Uh, well, why isn't he disheartened, though? I mean, that's kind of an expression of his convictions, that he is not going to lose heart, and he is uh, not going to reject the Scriptures, because people are rejecting the Scriptures, but he's going to stick to the truth. But why is he not disheartened? Look at what he says in verses 3 and 4. He says... Uh, at the end of verse 2, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Notice here he points out that there is a, a, a spiritual battle going on. He's saying, we're commending ourselves to your conscience. We're, we're just telling you the truth and we're letting you decide whether or not you believe us. And we're not trying to trick anybody or do anything to make them believe a certain way. And then he says, if our gospel's veiled, if they're going to reject the truth, then we know that... The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light. 
See how he changes his perspective on things. Have you ever taught somebody the gospel and walked away feeling uh, discouraged or feeling like there's something wrong with me or that I didn't do a good enough job? Well, here he kind of points out, this is not an easy thing that we're trying to do. It's not as though we, we're washed and made clean and now we're able to go out and convince everybody else that this is the best decision that they could ever make. And, and they're going to believe it. If you're like me, you know, we thought, I'm going to convert thousands. I'm going to convert as many people as I possibly can. But he says here, that is not the way this is going to go. There's a spiritual battle going on. This is not like, you know, fishing for men is not shooting fish in a barrel. <laughs> this is not an easy thing that we're doing. As we're working on the minds and the hearts of other people... The devil is working on their minds and their hearts to blind their eyes to everything we're saying and doing for them. That's what's going on behind the scenes. And we don't see, we don't know what's going on. We can't understand all of that. And so he says we're not losing heart because we know this spiritual battle is taking place inside the minds and the hearts of those who are around us. It's important for us to realize as we're talking to people there are forces at work that are more powerful than we are. That's the way it is. It's more powerful than we are. And we're going to struggle and, 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 and it's going to be hard work to convince those around us of the truth. Verse 5 he says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. What does he mean when he says, we do not proclaim ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord? Well, as we're going out and teaching people the gospel, and we're trying to share and, and let everybody see the glory of the Lord, it's not about us. It's not our gospel. They're not rejecting us. They're not rejecting the messenger. They're rejecting the message. So, we may do everything right. We may think everything's as it should be. We may say everything perfectly. But it's not ultimately our responsibility whether or not they obey or not. And if you think about this a little bit, you know, we're trying to serve people and to teach them the truth. But if we say it perfectly and they don't want to hear it, they're not going to hear it. You have Jesus walking on the earth. And he's, he's doing miracles, and he's teaching with all wisdom and with power, and he's showing everybody the truth. How many people were really converted? In John chapter 6, we see him feed 5,000 people. And, and he, he leaves them, and they follow after him. Oh, these are believers, right? Well, then he, he says, no, you didn't come to me because you believed. You come because you ate the food and you were filled. <laughs> and they're, they're grumbling against him as he's revealing to them, I am the bread of life. You must come to me and submit your life to me. You must take of me and eat, live by my words, is what he's getting at in that, in that text. In chapter, 40, uh, in, in chapter 6, verse 43 through 45, he says, No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. And he says, the prophets said, they will all be taught by God. He, he's giving an image here for us to remember. Okay? As we go out and we spread the good news, 
The Father is drawing people to Him. That's what's going on in that process. The Father is drawing people to Him. Father is not forcing people to come in. <laughs> but He's drawing them. He's pleading with them, asking them, come in, come in. And it's ultimately up to them whether or not they accept the invitation. Jesus looked at His own disciples after all of this and says, are you going to leave too? And they, they realized who Jesus was, and they said, how could we? <laughs> Where else could we go? There are some who will see the glory of the Lord, and there are some whose hearts will be veiled. But ultimately, the message is not our message. It's the Lord's message. We're just servants of all these people around us. And if they reject the message, we can't take it personally. And Paul's saying, we don't lose heart. We don't take this personally because ultimately, this is all about Jesus, not about us. Rejection is just part of it. As Christians, we have to come to terms with this reality that the world around us does not like our message. There's, there's so many people who would rather live in the mud than, than get out of it and live in the presence of the glory of God. There's so many people who just would rather be that way. And, and it's the same as Christ's ministry, that many rejected Him as He went out and tried to draw them in. Now let's uh, skip down to verse 8. He says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. So first of all, he tells us, we don't give up, we don't lose heart because people reject our message. And then he says, we don't lose heart because we're afflicted. The, the picture is, we are afflicted in every way. Now, how many of us uh, like this kind of a job description? Like, you're going to be afflicted in every way. Well, that sounds great, doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> in every way. Think about the different ways people can afflict us. And Paul says, we are afflicted in every way. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Who would sign up for such a life as this? Who would give in to that? Who would desire for that? Well, obviously, those who have beheld the glory of the Lord. We might think, well, no sane person would do that, but is it worth it? Paul says, even though we're suffering like this, we're not driven to despair. We're not, uh, we're, we're not taking it to heart. We're not losing heart over this. But really? Would we really remain a Christian if it meant losing something valuable? Would we really have signed up to become Christians if we knew the way this world 
would change to be against us. You know, at one time, Christianity was very popular. And people were joining because everybody else was. <laughs> well, we're quickly turning away from that. And so, how many people are actually going to uh, obey and submit to this gospel knowing what it is? That we're afflicted in every way. How many of us are willing to remain faithful as this world gets worse and worse? You know, honestly, the, the popularity of Christianity is an anomaly. <laughs> that is not something that uh, is, is ordinary or normal. That is, that is an anomaly. That is, that is different than the norm. And so, are we going to get used to the fact that the world around us is going to hate us and want to afflict us and to persecute us? That's the decision that Paul has made inside of himself. I'm, I'm, I'm afflicted in every way, but I'm not crushed. I'm not done. I'm still serving the Lord. I'm still proclaiming. I'm still seeking after those who are lost. And the way he talks about it is, we are dying <laughs> every day. We're always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Same, same as he said in Romans 12, right? Uh, we are living sacrifices. That's what we are. We're putting ourselves on the altar all the time. Look at verse 16. He says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. It's a transitional text, but notice, our outer self is wasting away. The CSV puts it like this. Our outer person is being destroyed. Now, a lot of times I would look at this and I would think, oh, it's talking about getting older. But what he said just before this, no, he's talking about our outer self is being afflicted in every way. We are suffering. We are struggling by those who do not like the gospel that we preach. We are being mistreated. Our relationships that we are enjoying are being broken. Our jobs where we thought we'd have great success are being ruined. And then it'll get worse. This is the nature of who we are. Well, how in the world can Paul possibly say that he does not lose heart knowing all of this? How? I mean, I'm losing heart just thinking about it. You know? I don't want anyone around here to, to suffer affliction, and honestly, I don't like the idea of it myself. The second half of that verse, he says, though our outer self is wasting away or being destroyed, our inner self is being renewed day by day. There's this interesting thing that Paul is trying to, to reveal to us. That as we have beheld the glory of the Lord, as we have taken in all that Jesus is and all that He has done, it has changed the way we look at this life. And instead of looking at life as, as we commonly did in the past, we are looking at life... Let me... Oh, I hit the back button accidentally. Sorry. We are looking at life with a view of eternity with a view of something that's beyond what we see. Look with me at verses 16 uh, down through chapter 5, verse 2. I don't like chapter divisions. You'll see me do this a lot. Uh, chapter divisions are not inspired, okay? Uh, chapter 5, verse 16, he says, 
So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. The picture here is that we are renewed and we're not thinking about this life the same way as we did in the past. Notice, uh, he calls his afflictions light and momentary. How many of us are going to get 40 lashes minus one multiple occasions and call that light and momentary? Being thrown into prison, being uh, someone uh, trying to murder him on multiple accounts. And this is light and momentary to Paul. Do we see our afflictions as light and momentary? Well, Paul says they're light and momentary because they're compared to the eternal weight of glory after this life is over. Now, as we go out and we try to teach people, we try to help people uh, learn about who God is, we may lose friendships. We may lose family members. Uh, there, may be, there may come a time when we lose jobs and we lose houses and we lose uh, much, much more. We may suffer pain, physical pain and torment for what we do. There are places in this world where that is very much the case. But whatever it is that they throw at us, we can view it as light and momentary in comparison to the eternal weight of glory that we don't see yet, but we know is there. Jesus promises us he is, we are laying up treasures in heaven and not on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. We have an eternal weight of glory waiting for us that is unimaginably greater than whatever suffering we endure. It's, it's worth more than whatever suffering we endure because we get to keep it for all eternity. And even if our body is being spit upon and beaten and, and we're being cursed and we're being mistreated, it's worth it because of what is waiting for us after this life. He goes on to say this, the second thing that we can be uh, renewed about. And in this case, he says, so we are always of good courage. Look at verse 6. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. You know, the new body is not the most important thing <laughs> to Paul. It's an important thing. The treasures laid up in heaven, the glory in heaven. It's an important thing. It's a valuable thing that renews him every single day as he's going out and trying to, to plead with others to come to Christ. But there's something else that renews him. As he looks at himself and maybe he, he messes up and, and a day comes when he feels downtrodden and he feels like he's failed miserably or he feels like he's about ready to give up. There's knowledge inside of Paul that when this life is over, he gets to be with the Lord. 
And, and he knows who the Lord is because he's beheld his glory. He's beheld the glory of the Lord. He's beheld the glory of God in that God is this compassionate and merciful and sympathetic high priest. He knows the weaknesses inside of us. He knows our struggling and our suffering. And He feels what we feel as we're feeling those things. And He loves us and He wants us to be with Him to give, give us His comfort and His love as we are aiming to please Him. So he says, we are always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. Yes, we are of good courage. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. In this life, we walk by faith with a desire to please the one we know we will spend eternity with. So yes... We are always of good courage. We are always being renewed at the knowledge and the understanding of what it is we have to look forward to. I hope that that encourages you as we think about these things. You know, as Paul endures tremendous suffering in life, he's constantly reminded of the fact that suffering is what life is all about. It is. That's, that's life. Life is suffering, and then you die. <laughs> that's pretty much it. The devil is constantly whispering in our ears, saying, you know, life doesn't have to be that difficult. Life doesn't have to be all about suffering. I can make it easy for you. But that's a lie. This life is full of momentary, light afflictions that prepare us, that are preparing us for something so much greater something that is opposite of suffering as far as the East is from the West. So, we change our perspective on this life. How are we going to think about those around us? And how are we going to per perceive our interactions with those who, who just reject the Gospel and want to afflict us? Well, there's a few, a few texts that follow this that really help us with that. And I just want to briefly go through uh, some of those, okay? So, but before we do that, the message of this is Christians are supposed to be full of comfort, encouragement, strength, purpose, and hope. We're not supposed to be discouraged by rejection or affliction. We're supposed to be renewed by the eternity that waits for us. And we're supposed to uh, be of good courage knowing that Christ awaits our arrival. I should have said all that. Uh, forgot. How do we apply this? Well, first of all, look at verse 10. He says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether of good or evil. Now, whenever I read that text before, I would think, this is a text that's really telling me I better teach other people because I'm going to be judged if I'm not pleasing to the Lord. But notice he doesn't say, For I must appear before the judgment seat. But he says, we must all appear before the judgment. See, in the context of this, Paul is, is using this. Look at verse 11 to say, this is why we're working to persuade other people. He says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. We know, 
as we go out into the world, that every person we interact with is going to have to stand before the Lord on Judgment Day. We know that's going to be the case for them. Do we really want them to stand before the Lord unprepared and not know the glory of the Lord? Not at least have a chance to see the glory of the Lord and maybe to be drawn by God to Himself? Well, we know that that's coming. And so Paul says, we persuade others because we know that is coming. And then as we get to chapter 5, verse 14, he says, For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and, and he died for all, that those who live may, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Notice he says, the love of Christ controls us. We're looking out, we're seeing all these people who Jesus died to save. We know what, God, what Jesus thinks about that neighbor of ours. We know that he wants him, that he desires for him to be saved just as much as he desires for us to be saved. And, and we know that God has shown that love to us. It controls us. It moves us to do more than just serve ourselves in this life, but to serve other people. This is a barrier that we often face. And he says, let the love of Christ control you so that you serve those around you. In verse 20, he says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. The picture here is that we are the ones who are going out that God is using to reach to those who are lost. That's our job. That's our mission. That's our desire. We are ambassadors seeking after those who are lost. And God is trying to use us to make an appeal to those around us. And here Paul says the way that he would say it. Therefore, I am imploring you. This is the way that we go out. Our friend is lost. I'm imploring you. Please, listen. Please see the glory that I see. Please know the Lord that I know before it's too late. And then finally, chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Working together with Him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. We're remembering that God is working together with us. Jesus is with us, God is with us, as we're going out, He's working with us, trying to draw His people into Him. If, if we're willing to do this work, then, then they will come. We may be rejected uh, most of the time. We may end up being afflicted. But there will be some who will come and return to the Lord. What about you? Where are you at right now? Have you turned to the Lord? Have you beheld the glory of God? If you've not beheld His glory, if you've not seen how wonderful and gracious and merciful He is, we want you to see and understand that. If there's anything that we can do to, to bring that about, to help you along your way, if you need help in Bible studies, we're happy to work with you. Um, and if, if you're here this morning and you're a Christian and you've been suffering and struggling and you need our prayers we're happy to help you if we can. Please make a change before it's too late. Please come as we stand and sing.